What's up, everybody? My name is Andrew, and welcome to the Music Spiel, where I rant about music for possibly a bit too long. I know it's been a hot-ass minute since I did anything here, but I'm going to try to get back on track for 2021, and I'm aware that it's already February. But today, before I continue with anything else I have written for this podcast, I'm going to talk about my personal top 10 albums from 2020. For such a shitty year, there was a lot of great music. In fact, it was much harder to cut this list down to 10 than I was anticipating, and there are some honorable mentions I have that absolutely broke my heart to keep off the top 10 list. Albums like Tame Impala's The Slow Rush, Dan Deacon's Mystic Familiar, Benny the Butcher's Burden of Proof, Conway the Machines, From King to a God, The Killers, Imploding the Mirage, The Strokes, The New Abnormal, Eve Toomer, Heaven to a Tortured Mind, Dua Lipa's Future Nostalgia, none of these made the list, and some of them I listened to more than what actually made the list. But I tried to base it off of the ratings I give albums, as well as how powerful I thought they were, and these albums unfortunately found themselves on the chopping block. None of them are bad. They're all amazing albums. Tame Impala soundtracked most of my year, and I thought it was overhated by most people who were expecting Currents 2.0 and didn't get what they want. Dua Lipa found her way into my regular listening rotation from the moment I first listened to Future Nostalgia. The Killers are one of my favorite bands, and Imploding the Mirage was a fantastic continuation of what they've built their careers on. Benny the Butcher and Conway put out two of the best hip-hop albums of the year. These albums just weren't as good as the albums that made the final cut, to me, anyway. I'm sure at this point you're wondering, well, Andrew, what the hell did make your list if none of those albums did? And this is the point where we start rolling from 10 up to 1. Same rule of 3 to 4 definitive tracks applies. Let's get it. Number 10, Post Animal, Forward Motion Goddessy. Post Animal put out one of my favorite albums of 2018, and they followed it up with an album that wasn't as commercially successful, but was on par with, if not better than, that first album, When I Think of You in a Castle. Forward Motion Goddessy continues what the band had done so well on When I Think of You in a Castle, but the lyrics actually make more sense on FMG, and the songs stick with me more after repeated listening. From the moment Your Life Away starts, I'm hooked and I'm ready to hear what happens. It seems like the album will be a little more relaxed than its predecessor, and then Post Animal the Song comes in and tears that assumption out of your brain by pounding what I would call the band's heaviest song into it. And then Schedule shows up, right after you've ridden the heavy wave for four minutes to calm you back down. But then fitness puts you on edge before In a Paradise smacks you over the head with crunchy guitars and a melodic riff that will get stuck in your head. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that Forward Motion Goddessy keeps the listener off balance in the best way possible. It does a phenomenal job of getting across the sense of unease most of us had for most of 2020, and it came out before most of the real shit happened. It was released on Valentine's Day along with Tame Impala, a month before the pandemic hit and shut down everything across the world, and it became even more poignant as time went on. It's like a roller coaster. By the time it's over, you don't know what to think other than, shit, let's do it again. And before you know it, you've listened to the album every day for a week straight. It's just that good. Very strong 8 out of 10. Definitive tracks are Post Animal, Schedule, and Safe or Not. Number 9, Tesla Boy, Andropov. I've been meaning to make an episode talking about Tesla Boy's fantastic first two albums, but their fourth album, Andropov, done entirely in Russian, is also incredible. If you like synth pop and can get past a language barrier, definitely check this out. I can't understand any of the lyrics, as I don't speak Russian, but the melodies are catchy, the synth lines worm their way into your head, and it's all around just a good time, uh, except for one song that's really downer but still beautiful. Um, that just needed to be said. Uh, Anton Sevadov knows how to get a party started other than that one sad song. And when international travel becomes safe again, 
And by that, I mean when COVID-19 is completely under control, I'm definitely going to save up to fly over to Russia to see him in the band live. Another strong 8 out of 10. Definitive tracks are Musica Moya, Pochache, and Samo Control. Number 8, Freddie Gibbs and the Alchemist, Alfredo. Freddie Gibbs hasn't missed in a while, and this album is no exception to that. Teaming up with The Alchemist works out almost as well as teaming up with Mad Lib. It's not quite as good as Pinata or Bandana, but Alfredo is amazing in its own right. Gibbs crushes it with his verses, as always, and most of the beats are phenomenal. The features are strong as well, seeing appearances from Rick Ross, Tyler the Creator, Benny the Butcher, and Conway the Machine. The flow of the album is almost never interrupted, so its runtime feels incredibly concise, especially when you consider that the album is only 35 minutes to begin with. The weakest tracks are towards the end, which is unfortunate, but they aren't weak because of Freddie Gibbs. He killed every single track. His lyricism is astounding, and his pop culture references capture the immediate point in time they were released better than most other albums. Will it hold up even though it's so timely? I think so. It's another 8 out of 10. Definitive tracks are 1985, God is Perfect, and Scotty Beam. That three-track run to start the album is flawless. Number seven, Gorillaz, Song Machine, Season One, Strange Times. When Humans was released, I enjoyed some of it, but I thought it was easily the second worst thing Damon had ever done with this project. The worst, of course, being The Fall. But there was a glimmer of hope with the Now Now, and when the first Song Machine single started coming out at the start of 2020, I was moderately excited. I was still cautious because of Humans, but as the singles piled up and only one of them hadn't really landed with me, I was hoping we would get a full album of Gorillaz stuff again. When the tracklist for the full album was announced, I was more than ready to hear how Damon would weave all of these singles together into one cohesive album, and god damn did he do it well. Even though there are features on every song similar to Humans, there is a distinct presence of Damon Albarn on this album, which seemed lost on Humans. The bonus tracks neither add to nor detract from the album, though I love Earth Gang on Opium, but the highlights are all on the standard 11-track run. While there are a couple of misses, uh, Dead Butterflies comes to mind, the highs of Song Machine Season 1 are some of the highest to come from Gorillaz in a long while, if not ever. Much like Tesla Boy, the melodies are catchy, and like Freddie Gibbs, the lyricism is very solid. Not on par with Freddie Gibbs, but on par with what Damon and crew have done in the past. Only a few features don't really land for me, again, see Dead Butterflies, but pretty much everything else is incredibly well-written and well-produced. It all just sounds so good. I love Gorillaz, and I'm so grateful that they're back on track. Another 8 out of 10. Definitive tracks are The Valley of the Pagans, The Lost Chord, The Pink Phantom, and De Soleil. Number 6, Fiona Apple, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. I remembered listening to this right when it was released and thinking, holy shit, that was amazing. But then I proceeded to not listen to it for the rest of the year. And I am here to say, I'm sorry, Fiona Apple. I should have listened to this way more. Some of it seems like spoken word over music, but the words being spoken are incredibly powerful. The musical motifs are fantastic, especially how the piano line in I Want You to Love Me becomes the bass of Shamika. And I wasn't convinced of this album's staying power until I got to Newspaper on my second listen through. Newspaper is one of the most visceral pieces of music I've heard in a long while. The instrumentation makes my skin crawl, and the lyrics drive home both isolation and connection when you see what an ex is doing to their new significant other that they did to you, and following it up with ladies just shows that you can throw a listener off kilter in the most amazing way. Fetch the Bolt Cutters is an incredible piece of art, and I understand why so many publications gave it a 10 out of 10. Personally, I would say it's a 9 out of 10 since I'm not the biggest fan of On I Go as a closer, but I see how it fits the album. 
Nevertheless, I cannot recommend this album enough. It's weird, but it's so incredibly powerful and so well-crafted. Just maybe think of Drum Set as the closer. Definitive tracks are Shamika, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, Newspaper, and Cosmonauts. Number five, Thundercat. It is what it is. I sometimes find myself at a loss for words with certain artists and albums, and Thundercat is one of them. The way he blends jazz, hip-hop, funk, and R&B, among other genres, astounds me. Plus, his brother Ronald Bruner is one of my favorite drummers, so every drum part on this album I absolutely love, but that's only partially the story. There are so many happy-sounding moments on this album, it's hard to think that it was dedicated to the late Mac Miller and Thundercat put some of his heaviest material on here. It really is a tale of two halves. The first half sees a lot of happy-sounding, upbeat music, and with the exception of Dragon Ball Do-Rag, the second half sees Thundercat get more serious, which is precisely what makes this album work. It is a full cycle of day and night. While Thundercat just wants to party with you, that you he's referring to is Mac Miller, and he knows the gravity of the situation. From a purely musical standpoint, this album is fantastic. The drums, the bass, the melodies, Kamasi Washington's sax lines on certain tracks, all amazing. Lyrically, Thundercat knows how to blend happy and sad themes into singular songs, and it's fantastic. Some people have problems with Flying Lotus's production on this album. I do not. I'm a fan of it. It works for the style. This is another strong 9 out of 10, and it's higher than Fiona Apple only because it stuck with me more over the course of the year. Also, when King of the Hill started playing on my first listen, I flipped shit because I was not aware that it was going to be on the album. Speaking of tracks, though, definitive tracks are Black Qualls, Dragon Ball Do-Rag, King of the Hill, and It Is What It Is. Thundercat killed it in 2017 with Drunk, and he killed it again in 2020 with It Is What It Is. Number 4, Run the Jewels, RTJ4. I had never liked a Run the Jewels album before RTJ4. Everything had sounded the same to me, and the production didn't feel varied at all. But RTJ4 changed all that. Maybe it was the timeliness of the lyrics. Maybe it was the aggressive production fitting the mood of the year. Maybe it was just the best thing they had ever done. Maybe I had a different outlook. I have no idea. But RTJ4 made me and still makes me want to run through a brick wall. I know some people will disagree with me, but political music is fine. It's an artist's right to write about whatever they want. That doesn't mean it's always good. Sometimes it's totally ham-fisted and over-the-top and doesn't do anything but serve the artist who created it. In the case of RTJ4, though, Killer Mike and LP had been working on this since 2018, and everything they said still applied in the summer of 2020. Killer Mike is one of the most straightforward people, let alone MCs, and he doesn't pull any punches. Both he and LP came for blood on RTJ4, and they put out what is at once both timely and timeless. Easy 9 out of 10. And that's not even mentioning the features, which are all fantastic as well. I think anyone who wants to hear a political album from a year full of weaker ones needs to listen to RTJ4. Whether you agree with Killer Mike and LP is immaterial, though I happen to, it's just a well-produced, well-written, well-contextualized album. Definitive tracks are Out of Sight, Walking in the Snow, Just, and A Few Words for the Firing Squad, Radiation. Number three, Phoebe Bridgers, Punisher. When I met Phoebe Bridgers in February of 2018, I thankfully had the chance to tell her that Stranger in the Alps was one of the best albums of 2017. And here we are, four years after that album was released, three years after I got the opportunity to meet Phoebe, and I've spun her second album, Punisher, way more than Stranger in the Alps. I don't know how someone can put out such a strong album and then top it with their next album. It takes a very special artist to do that, and Phoebe Bridgers is absolutely that special of an artist. 
As always, her lyricism is astounding and her melodies are incredibly catchy. But there's just something about Punisher that makes it sit with me more. I'm not sure if it's the production or the instrumentation or the songs themselves or if I'm just in a different mental state, but Punisher is easily a 9 out of 10. I have sobbed almost every time that I listen to this album, but it's definitely for the best reasons. From the second DVD menu starts, it's clear that this is going to be a mostly downer album. Uh, Kyoto shows some quote-unquote energy, but its lyrics are still incredibly sad. But it ends on such a hopeful note with I Know the End, and I feel like I can do anything. I also feel like I need to be better. As a person, as a critic, as a creative, everything. Some albums are just good to listen to. Others actually move me to do something I've never done before or be someone better than I am at the moment I'm listening. This is one of the latter. I want to be better when I listen to Phoebe Bridgers, and that's why it's in the top three. Definitive tracks are Garden Song, Halloween, Moon Song, and I Know the End. Number two, Jesse Ware, What's Your Pleasure? One of my friends and roommates described this as future nostalgia's big sister, and I agree. It's more mature, it's more timeless retro in that it could have easily been put out in the 70s or 80s and have fully fit in the pop disco scene, and it's just better to me. Jessie Ware's lyricism feels more mature and slightly more mysterious. Her voice seems a little more unique, not necessarily that much better, but definitely more unique. The production feels a little more varied while retaining a cohesive sound. It also just hit me harder on first listen and doesn't end on a sour note. The ending of What's Your Pleasure is just as strong as the opening. Without comparing it for the whole review, though, I will say the instrumentation and production on this album are phenomenal. Never let someone tell you you need to have octaves in a disco bass line. This album will prove them wrong. There are some octaves on occasion, but a majority of the songs have unique and inventive bass lines. I already mentioned Ware's lyricism, which cannot be overstated. If I wanted to make a timeless disco slash synth pop album, this is what I would use as the blueprint. And I do want to do that, so I've been listening to this album quite a lot. And I have not gotten sick of it. At all. Which is a very good sign for an album's quality. I just can't get past this being as good as it is. For a person who was never all that into pop music before 2018-2019, I can't believe I love this album as much as I do. Definitely a 9 out of 10. Definitive tracks are Spotlight, Soul Control, Save a Kiss, and Remember Where You Are. Which brings us to number one, Leanne Le Havas. Leanne Le Havas. Now, I've got to say that I am a sucker for some great neo-soul. When said neo-soul is merged with folk sensibilities to create something more unique, I immediately fall in love. When that sound is capitalized on by one of the best and most unique voices in music today, it gets my fourth ever perfect 10 out of 10. I had fallen off listening to new albums last year, and I still have listened to this album over 25 times since I first listened on December 1st. The way Leanne Le Havas blends sounds to create something that is unique to her is astounding, and her lyricism is perfect for the style she creates. Furthermore, this album is completely cohesive in its story and its messaging, and while not every album needs to be a concept album, I love the execution on this, which is amplified by the overarching concept of rebirth amidst new and failing love. The album's journey follows a perfect circle from rebirth at the end of one relationship to rebirth at the end of the next one. Bittersweet sees La Havas being born again after one relationship ends, and Read My Mind sees the start of another one. 
but the rest of the album shows the steady decline of that second relationship until you hit Courage, where she builds up the strength to leave, and Sour Flower, where she sings about how she cries because she's free and she's done settling for so much less than she deserved. The concept is universal and so easy to fail at executing, but Leanne Le Havas nailed it by putting it into terms only she could. Hell, I say the concept is universal, and there's still things in her that I will never fully experience because I am not a black British woman. But still, that's not even getting into the instrumentation and the guitar work and the bass lines and her voice, and damn, I just love everything about this. She even took on one of my top five favorite Radiohead songs in Weird Fishes, uh, for those curious, it's number three behind Paranoid Android and Full Stop, and performed it flawlessly. When it started on my first listen, I thought it was going to be a note-for-note cover because of the drums, but then they flip the drums into more of a laid-back funk groove and execute it to perfection. When the vocal harmonies come in at the bridge, it's one of the most amazing musical moments from 2020. Everything about this album is flawless to me, and every time I listen to it, I notice new things. That, to me, is the hallmark of perfection. Not only execution and artistry, but longevity and the ability to remain fresh. I know it's probably unfair to say an album that came out under a year ago has longevity, but I can see it being a heavy part of my listening rotation for a long time, and that's good enough for me. Leanne Le Havas is a perfect album. 10 out of 10. Definitive tracks are Read My Mind, Weird Fishes, Seven Times, and Sour Flower. Whew, I know this was a very long return to posting, but I just wanted to get my top 10 from last year out into the public before I continue with anything else on here. Thank you so much for listening. Let me know what your favorite albums from 2020 were and if you think I missed anything. I try to listen to as much as possible, but I know things will inevitably slip through the cracks because so much music is released every year. And I guess I'm just going to leave it at that. I'll post a link to my Best Albums of 2020 Spotify playlist in the description so you can see everything that I gave a 7 out of 10 or higher, including all the albums I mentioned in here. Uh, Appreciate you all, and I look forward to putting up content more consistently from this point on. Thanks for checking out the Music Spiel. Next episode coming soon. Hope to see you there.